Well, good day, folks. I'm glad you're with joining us at Lighthouse Church for our online service um, for February the 21st. Uh, for many, you'll be in church ready on Sunday morning. For those of you who are watching online, we just pray that God will bless you in a very special way as you listen to God's Word. We've been going through the book of Judges, and indeed that's a challenging book to go through. The key verse is, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, when you think about that verse, it's sort of reminiscent in, of what we see today in our world. We live in a culture that, we, uh, that is really given to doing what they think is right in their own eyes. And we're seeing censorship through Facebook, through multimedia, and about what people say, what people don't say. And it's just, uh, it's, it's beginning a little bit unreal. Uh, we ventured away from what God's Word says in our society. And uh, there's a sense in which everyone thinks that what they're doing is absolutely right. And it's wrong. We're in today into the book of Judges, chapter 9. Uh, probably one of the most uh, challenging chapters I've had to really look at and try to get something out of that I thought would be helpful for all of us as we go through the Word of God. Uh, principle upon principle, precept upon precept. So as we go into dive into God's Word today, I want to start with a word of prayer and ask for God's blessing on it to our hearts. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, today for the Word of God. I thank you, Lord, for the series on the book of Judges. And Father, I pray today that through your Holy Spirit, you will guide each and every one who listens to your Word today. Oh God, we want people to grow in their understanding and knowledge of who you are. And Lord, we want people also to put their faith and trust in Christ. So I pray for your blessing on the Word of God today as we present it, and uh, we pray that you honor it in Christ's name. Amen. The title of the message is Abimelech, Sowing and Reaping. And the message of, the, or the story, the message of the story of Abimelech is a simple but powerful one. Uh, if we reject the true king, we will be ruled by a usurper. If the throne is not filled by God the king, it will be filled by an Abimelech, uh, who is what we call a bramble king. This is an experience of Israel in the book of Judges, chapter 9, and it remains just as true today. It operates in a personal way in our lives so that the Apostle Paul can declare in Romans 6, verse 16, these words. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. If Jesus Christ does not rule my life, and then my safe, sinful nature will. The same principle applies in organizations, whether they're political or congregational. If we do not seek to follow leaders who will direct us to the kingship of Christ, we'll fall into the hands of someone whose leadership is negative and destructive. Seeking power and authority is often a common ambition of many individuals, especially in the hearts of people, an ambition to, that is present with in every single person. They want to do something that is different. They, they want power. They have the sense of ambition. But oftentimes, there's no God-given directive that they follow. It's all about what I can do for me, what I can make myself do that makes me feel good, regardless of the consequences or situations. There's good ambition, and there's bad ambition. A righteous ambition, and an evil ambition. Ambition becomes evil when it is used for selfish purposes. And many people today just, they live for themselves. 
The powers sought to gain more and more for the purpose of dominating others or so that I could live in extravagance or indulgence. It is evil. And when the ambition for power leads a person to hoard and neglect others or to harm and damage others or himself or oneself, the ambition and power really is wrong. Judges 9 has to do with the evil ambitions of seeking power for selfish purposes. The guilty culprit was Abimelech, the son of Gideon. When his father died, he wanted to become king over the territory that his father had served for as judge for 40 years. This then is the message of Abimelech. Gideon had fallen to a pretty, pretty, I would say, terrible place in his walk with God. The Lord led him to victory over the Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east. And yet uh, people became bitter uh, towards him and of his accomplishments. He also married many women. He bore 70 sons to, to him. And he had a concubine in Shechem who gave birth to a son named Abimelech. After Gideon died, the Israelites once again fell into serious idolatry, worshiping Baal Berith. And we see in chapter 9, verse 1, these words. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them, and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbabel rule over you, or that one rule over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. As you recall, Gideon, who was also called Jerubbabel, also, well, that was his nickname, Jerubbabel, uh, and then asked Gideon to become king. And, and listen to what Gideon had said at that juncture back in Judges 8, verse 23. He said, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Great words from Gideon. And we think, well, that was excellent, Gideon. I'm really glad you answered it correctly. But the trouble is, great words, but no substance. Oftentimes we look at people when they speak or, and give great speeches, but you think to yourself, specifically when you think of politicians, great speech, but are you going to live up to your words? And frankly, a lot of people don't live up to what they say. Even though he had not officially accepted kingship, the people still looked to him sort of as a king, and he took on the lifestyle of a king and led people to go a-whoring after the golden ephod that he'd made back in Judges chapter 8. When his concubine bore him a son in Shechem, he called the son's name Abimelech, which means, hey, my father is king, my father's king. So everywhere he went, when they called Jerubbabel, it meant, hey, my father is king, my father is king. So even after Gideon's death, his sons even had some recognized authority in the nation of Israel. But Abimelech, the son of the concubine who was in Shechem, was really jealous of this. And as the son of his father's concubine, he was not recognized as having any kind of authority or power. So he began to assimilate power for himself, starting with his own family, getting to try and to persuade the rulers of the city where he lived to make him the absolute ruler, rather than the 70 sons of Gideon. And verse 3, And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, He is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver of the house of baal 
which Abimelech hired, worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Oprah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbabel, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, or Gideon, was left and he hid for himself. The city leaders thought that was a great idea. Let's have, uh, let's have Abimelech rule over us rather than the 70 sons of Gideon. And they took 70 pieces of silver out of the temple of Baal to pay off uh, Abimelech so he could hire some worthless mercenaries to, uh, or reckless guys to assassinate and kill all the rest of his family. And so these men that he hired were, I would say, void of conscience, no feelings that what they were doing were really wrong. They were being paid off. Hey, we'll do the job. And today more and more people today we find are empty. Their consciences have been seared by sin. Even in the church we see this. People who will do anything for a dollar. The Holy Spirit said in the last day we will see people, First Timothy 4.2 in the NET Bible, that were influenced by the hypocrisy of liars whose conscience are seared. Road to emptiness is paved with sin. Hypocrisy sears and calluses our conscience, so we cannot feel anything at all. So these mercenaries went in, and they beheaded the 70 sons in uh, Oprah, one after the other, on a stone in front of all the townspeople, so that Abimelech could now be in charge of the nation of Israel at that point. They died one after the other, except one, Jotham, who kind of ran away from this slaughter. Israel, at this point, was morally asleep. They should have been outraged at what happened, but there was no response. It's been said, and I quote this quote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. That's a quote by Edmund Burke. There should have been condemnation, but instead there was confirmation and coronation. And so... And Judges 9, verse 6, we read this, And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. Abimelech becomes the first person crowned as a so-called king of Israel. Earlier we see that the heart of these people was not to have God rule over them, but to have Gideon. Now they want a man. And they'll go to any lengths to get what they want. It's a pretty sad plight when you think of where God has taken the nation of Israel under Gideon's leadership to take off the yoke of oppression and violence and, and what they were doing to them to see where they were at now. You think, didn't the people's heart change when they saw how God would do miraculous things and delivering them from the Midianites? Did the people's hearts change? And the answer is no. It's a sad point, really, in our lives. When we sometimes think, well, when God works in our lives, and He works in people's lives around us, shouldn't we, in a sense, respond with a sense of, Lord, we're going to walk with you, we're going to live for you, we're going to really seek by God's grace to do what's right? But the nation of Israel didn't get it. And so often we see that when you see a godly man who loves God, who's passed for God, pass off the scene, it's sort of like when the when he leaves, the nation goes back into what I call uh, a sense of uh, idolatry and falling after their own ways. And so God gives them what they desire, and they got the caliber of man that they deserved. 
and when we look around our world today, the same is true. Sometimes God will give us will give us leaders that we say we want these kind of leaders, but these leaders are not men of morality, they're not men of principle, and they're not men who follow after God. And God said, You want them? Guess what? I'll give it to you. In Judges 9, 7 to 15, we see Jotham's or what I call parable. He uh, after he escapes, he goes back and talks to the men. And he stands on the top of Mount Gerizim. We pick it up in verse 7 and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. The olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let the fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. This is really what I would call a bold confrontation of Jotham's part to kind of tell this story. And what's the story about? It's about a group of trees looking for a leader. That's the modus operandi of the parable. They came to each fruit bearer, the olive tree, the fig tree, the vine, and they asked them to reign over them. But they were all busy, too busy bearing fruit to uh, simply waste their time waving over a bunch of trees. So finally, desperation, the trees asked this bramble to reign over them. The bramble in that day was a worthless shrub, uh, full of spines, twisting and tangling into a useless mess. It's pretty flowers. It bears no fruit. It's no good for construction. The, the best thing it's for to, to take its branches and use it to light a fire with. That's about it. The point of the story that Jotham tells the people is this, that the trees were self-destructive, they sought false security, and that sometime that bramble would turn and just consume them. A long story to just say, he said, where are we going in all this? I'm glad you asked that question. But again, this is a picture of a nation that's devoid of following after God. They've all got to a point to deliver from oppression. And what do we say that fivefold cycle in the book of Judges was? Sin, servitude, salvation, no, supplication, salvation, and then spiral downwards. So what had happened here is that they were in oppression. They'd asked for... They uh, called out to God for deliverance from their bondage, from their oppression. God had sent them a deliverer in Gideon. Then after Gideon delivers them, and they're happy again, and everything's really going well, and they go back into the old cycle of chasing after the things of the world, chasing after sin, chasing after the bales, and they go deeper than they did before into that sin cycle. You think to yourself, isn't it interesting when people commit their lives to Christ why would they want to go back to their old ways? Why would they want to go back to their old life? I kind of wonder about that, because even for the nation of Israel, when they were going from the land of Egypt, which was a place of bondage and oppression for 400 years, they're in the wilderness, and God is providing manna and things. There's times that they got so desperate, they said, oh, that we could go back to Egypt. And you think, you've got to be kidding. Why would people want to go back 
to their old ways, go back to their old life. You know what? I've met people like that they are Christians who profess to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And things aren't going quite the way they want. And they say, you know what? I, I don't want to follow God anymore. I wish I could go back to the way things were. I want to live my life devoid of God. Yes, I, I'm glad he saved me, but I want to live life on my terms. And I'm going to live my life in such a way that uh, I can live the way I want and I believe that if I live the way I want, then I'll be satisfied, I'll be happy, and I'll be content. What a lie. What a lie that is, because there is no true joy for the believer who puts their faith in Christ, who tries to go back to the old life, the old sinful ways, to the carnal lifestyle. In Judges 9, verses 16 through to 21, read these words. Now therefore, he said, this is Jotham's challenge to the people, if you acted in good faith, which they really hadn't, and integrity when you made Abimelech king, some integrity, and if you have dealt well with Jerubbabel, that's Gideon, and his house, and have done to him as deeds deserved, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you from the hand of Midian. He's reminded, here's what my dad did. And you have risen up against my father's house this day, and have killed his sons. Seventy men on one stone have made Abimelech the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative. If you've then acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubbabel and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech and his brother. He was afraid for his life. What's Jotham really trying to say here? If you've just given Gideon's family what they deserved and you've been truthful and had integrity in making Abimelech king, you should be really happy. Which really, you know, that would be pretty sarcastic. But if you killed my brother simply because Abimelech is your relative, then may Abimelech destroy you with fire. Jotham was basically saying, I hope you get what you deserve. So you're saying, well, again, this is being spoken to a group of men, to a nation, who have not have decided we're not going to walk with God, and he's calling them out and saying, you know, I'm calling out condemnation, I'm praying that God really gives it to you, because you know what you did was wrong. So in Judges 9, verses 22 to 25, Abimelech ruled over Israel three years, and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, the ones who made him king, and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubbabel, or Gideon, might come, and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened their, his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by, and it was told to Abimelech. So for, year, for three years, God brings division between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. He did this by sending an evil spirit. Whether this is spirit was a demonic being, or bringing together circumstances that served as a catalyst to create tension and friction between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, who had conspired together to kill all of Gideon's sons? We don't know. What we see here, however, is God's intervention guiding a mutually destructive relationship between Abimelech and the Shechemites. 
So, because sometimes you say, as you're leading this story and you see all this civil unrest and fighting and killing and murdering, where's God? Well, you know what? God's right there and he's allowing them to kind of fight between each other to bring them down. The Bible tells us this very clearly in Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For everyone sows that he will also reap. When they killed Gideon's sons, they had sown seeds of violence and treachery and it was going to come back on their heads. Now, three years later, that crop of what they'd sown was coming back to haunt them. Friends became foes and allies became enemies. So the men of Shechem put together ambushes against travelers on the road in hopes of catching Abimelech and killing him. Each time someone passed, they would check and see, oh, is it Abimelech? No. Well, let's rob him anyways. And so this tension and friction grew between the Shechemites and Abimelech, and God was allowing it to bring judgment upon this, what was happened because of their, their murdering of Gideon's 70 sons. So in Judges 9, verse 26, another guy comes on the scene. His name is Gal, G-A-A-L. The son of Ebed moved into Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put their confidence. Another guy jumps into the situation. And they really like him. It's also been said when you appoint newcomers to a position of authority and leadership, it's always a danger. The men of Shechem really liked this guy named Gal. And as a result of that, they, they wanted to make him a leader and a little bit of wine, a little bit of drinking, and all of a sudden uh, things loosen up. But it's never good to put people into positions of authority quickly. All throughout Scripture we read that. And even in this situation, it's shown very clearly that what the men of Shechem did by investing in the leadership of a man they didn't know, that they weren't able to see what he was like, was a big mistake. In 1 Timothy 5.22 in the New Testament we read, Do not be hasting in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't appoint leaders fast. Because you know what? Everyone can fake it for a while. It takes time to learn somebody's character and the condition of their heart. That's why we take our time even in leadership here at Lighthouse. We take time to get to know people. We want to see them at least for a year or two. We see how they treat their wives, how they relate to their children, how they relate to other people. We really want to get to know before we all say, you know what? Uh, we want to talk to you about maybe a leadership position. And why do we do that? We want to be very careful to make sure that the people that are leadership at Lighthouse are people that emulate Christ's likeness, that they act like Jesus, they look like Jesus. They say, you look like Jesus? Yeah, they act in such ways that you can model their lives after them because if you can't do that, they shouldn't be in leadership. And so the men of Shechem put their trust quickly in Gal with some help with the wine. In Judges 9, 27 to 29, it says, And they went out in the field and gathered the grapes from the vineyards, trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their god. This is not the god of the Bible. This is Baalbereth. And they ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And others made fun of Abimelech. And Gal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech and who are the we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbabel or Gideon? Is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Why should we serve him? Would that this people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. 
So Galen's newfound followers had a great big party. They're drinking. Their mouths got free. Their tongues began wagging. And they began cursing their leader, Abimelech. And Gal begins to drop hints that he would be a better king than Abimelech. And really, he says, oh, come on. You know, I can take Abimelech. I can wipe him out. And, but what you're seeing is this continual meshing and upset and unrest in a group of men that do not follow God. They have no desire. And as he rails on the leader of the city, Zebul, Zebul, the lieutenant of Abimelech, overhears this, and he spreads the Here's what's going on, and he spreads the word back to Abimelech as to what's going on. In verses 30 to 33, when Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gal, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gal, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem. And they are stirring up the city against you. Now therefore go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise up early, rush upon the city, when he and the people who are with him come out against you, and may you do to them as your hand finds to do. So, Zebul wasn't really thrilled with what Gael was doing and saying. He alerted Abimelech to the possibility of an uprising, and told him to come up and nip it in the bud by a quick response early in the morning when they went out to work in the fields. You say, my land, all this civil unrest and war. That's what happens when you have a group of people that do not follow the Lord their God. And these men profess to know God. They were happy with Gideon when he took off the yoke of oppression, but left to themselves and left to their evil desires always see a civil unrest and upset in their country. So verses 34 to 38, Abimelech and his men rise up. You know, there's a sense in which uh, Gal looks out and he thinks that they're coming. He said, I, I see movement in the mountains. The guy said, oh, you're, you're just imagining it, Zebul says. But basically it was Abimelech and his men sneaking down to come down. And they come down and they fight against him. And so where do they come to fight against him? We're going to jump ahead right to the verse 38. And... Uh, we see that the front gate was a place where the city's elders and leaders would get her, gather to conduct business. With Gal's new popularity, he was naturally there in the morning next to Zebul, the city's real leader, or the lieutenant, what I would say of Abimelech. And so we see in verse 42, on the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told, he took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And we go, go through this whole passage. It's right through to verse 49. What happens? Abimelech destroys Gal, and he just goes crazy. He destroys Gal and his followers. His desire is to destroy Shechem for its treachery and going against him. And then what he does, he goes into the city of Shechem, and he goes to the fields, and he throws salt in all the fields. Why does he put salt in the fields? So that no crops will grow. He's, I'm going to level this place. He's that angry. Abimelech's intention was to make the city of Shechem an uninhabitable wasteland in repayment for their treason. And we see in Judges 9, 50 to 55, then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in. And they went up to, into the roof of the tower. And verse uh, 52, And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. 
Interesting story, rather graphic. And then he called quickly to the young man. His armor bearer said to him, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, a woman killed him. Now, such was the time. And his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everybody departed to his home. And so, you know, Abimelech thought, I'm just going to look after things. And as he's dying, he He's afraid to be, for it to be told that he was killed by a woman, so he he's asked his armor bearer to thrust him with a spear that was quite typical in that day. But the conclusion of this whole story is found in the last two verses. Look at this. Verse 56. What's the whole story? Glad you asked. Then God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. Uh, this shows us that God was involved all along. Because you see, you see this mess, and you think, like, where is God? But, but maybe you, maybe we need to stop and think about this. When we look at the mess of our world today, some of you might be thinking to yourselves, "Where is God? Where is God?" Because we have the pandemic, we have different political situations coming up, and there's just this unrest, there's upset, there's anger, there's anxiety, there's depression, and there's lockdown. While we're kind of going back a little bit on that now, but people are just getting tired and frustrated with this whole process. They really are. I'm sure you are, and I am. It's not fun. But in this process, understand God is is still at work. Even though you don't see it happening, maybe it's not visible to the human eye, God is still on the throne, He's still at work, and through this, He's still accomplishing His purposes. You know, I thought about that the other day, and uh, I'll just give you a little tidbit here. I was uh, got a little note from one of our men in our church, from Steve Hayes, and they said, he said, man, you've had uh, 122 downloads in the last month for the messages you've been preaching. I said, wow, that's... that's that's really uh, interesting. I said, "What? who's listening to this? It kind of surprised me. And he said, well, he said, let me just, he did the analytical research and I found out that there's more people in the States listening to my podcast than there are in Canada. I hear there's people in Russia, Turkmenistan. I'm hearing all around the world. I think that he listed 55, 50 some nations of where my messages that I've been preached on podcasts are being downloaded and listened to. Just blew me away. I thought, Really? Uh, and then what's really interesting too is when we download our programs and we put them on YouTube, we're getting people all around listening to the messages that, frankly, until the pandemic came, we never did that. We really didn't. So can God use the pandemic to present the gospel through, whether through podcasts or through video or online, to people that no, no, normally would never, ever listen? The answer is yes. God is working. I'm not saying that that's all that God's doing. There's more happening, but we'll find out in time what God's doing. The life story of Abimelech really explains, explains and exposes the hearts of evil men who reject God. God uses evil against other people. They reap what they've sown. What you sow, you also reap. See, there are people who choose oftentimes to live their lives thinking I can ignore God. I can live my life on my own terms. And you know what? I don't have to go by the teaching of Scripture. I can live my life on my terms and not have to pay attention to the words of God. 
They may ignore God, but let me tell you something. God is not ignoring them. His hand is in their lives, whether they acknowledge it or not. He's still at work. He's allowing circumstances in their lives. And sometimes he allows challenges to bring them to the point where they will repent and put their faith in Christ. They must face life's eternal questions. Every one of us must as to our origin, our purpose, and our destiny. Those questions don't fade away because we think those questions are uncomfortable and we really don't want to answer them. Unbelievers are gambling with their souls at stake. See, eternity is closer than they think. I read this illustration in one of my uh, studies, and it was really intriguing. Let me read it to you. In 1982, the ABC Evening News reported on unusual work of modern art, a chair affixed to a shotgun. It was to be viewed by sitting in the chair, looking directly into the gun barrel. The gun was loaded and set on a timer to fire at an undetermined moment within the next hundred years. The amazing thing was that people waited in lines to sit and stare into the shell's path. They all knew the gun would go off at point-blank range at any moment, but they were gambling with the fatal blast wouldn't happen during their minute in the chair. Yes, it was foolhardy, yet many people who wouldn't dream of sitting in that chair live a lifetime gambling that they can get away with sin. Foolishly, they ignore the risk until the inevitable self-destruction. See, people don't choose to ignore God because of evidence, but because of their wills. They don't want to be held accountable for their actions. I'll live my life on my terms, and I'm not going to have to explain why I'm doing why I'm doing it to anyone, I will live life on my terms. And God says, really? There's coming a day when you will have to answer to me. We all face death sooner or later. And the question is this, are we ready? Are we ready to face God? Are we ready to say that when he says, why should I let you into heaven? What's your answer going to be? Some people think, well, I've lived a pretty good life, and I, I think I've done more good deeds than bad deeds. And God says, I'm sorry, that doesn't qualify. And so many people will say, well, you know, uh, I prayed the sinner's prayer, but uh, God says, well, if you prayed the sinner's prayer, why didn't you live for Jesus Christ? Because some people think, well, if I just pray the little prayer, I'm good, and I can live my life on my terms. That's not salvation. Salvation is when I put my faith and trust on the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin, that he rose again for me, and because of that, he has rescued me from sin so that I can live my life on his terms till God calls me home. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross, and follow after me. Who are you following? Are you following Jesus? Are you following his words? You're following what you want. And that's what it's all about. So we stand before God, and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? You can say, because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as God's only son, and believe that he died on the cross for me, that he rose again from the dead, and by doing that, I believe that my sins are forgiven because of his shed blood for me. And I've sought by God's grace to live my life in a way that pleases him. And God says, well, come on in. I trust you made that decision. 
And I pray that not only that you made that decision, but on the basis of that decision, you sought to live a life that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Lord, uh, boy, Judges 9, what a passage. A lot of civil unrest. A picture of men that walk away from God. You have no desire to follow after the principles and precepts of your word. Lord, help us to live our lives with integrity. Help us to live our lives in honesty, following the principles and precepts of your word, so that, Lord, you would be blessed and that people would see Christ in and through us. So again, Lord, I pray for your blessing. And I pray, Lord, for anyone that might not know Christ as their Savior, that they would just reach out and ask God to save them. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.